if you missed last Sunday's message, you really should go online on our website and take a listen as we talk about the vision of Celebration Church and our uh, desire to go beyond, take it to the next level. And we're going to be talking more about that in the weeks and months to come. Uh, today I want to pick up again in uh, Matthew where we're teaching. We're now in Matthew, the 17th chapter. I was in Nashville last week. And I walked by this country store. And I saw these snakeskin boots. I said, oh yeah, I got to have those. Somewhere there's a naked snake. I was just talking to Nancy. She said, the snakes don't really live after that, do they? <laughs> uh, she's just going, yeah, I love you, Nancy. No, they're pretty much dead. All right, so. Here we are, Matthew 17, chapter verse 9. As they were coming down from the mountain. What mountain? Now, remember, this is where we left off. Uh, last time we read how Jesus took uh, his disciples, three of them, his closest ones, uh, Peter, James, and John, and they go up into this mountain with Jesus. And before their eyes, he gives them a glimpse un, into his glory, uh, which he hadn't done for anybody. And, uh, and that's like the God part of him comes out, and he's like somewhere in between the natural and the supernatural. The Bible says his clothes just turned white and glowed, and his face glowed, and, his, ooh, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah are standing before him, and they're all talking, and Peter... James and John are blown away. I mean, these are Jewish boys. You don't get much better than Moses and Elijah to these guys. And they get all excited. Uh, and then uh, the Bible says, a cloud comes over. All of a sudden, boom. And this voice out of heaven says, this is my son. Listen to him. Well, they freak. The Bible says they were terrified when they heard this voice coming out of nowhere. They collapsed to the ground. Jesus eventually goes over and says, okay, guys, you can get up now. And when they looked up, the Bible says they just saw Jesus there. The point of that, I think, to these guys was as much as they loved the patriarchs and people of faith from the Old Testament, is that a New Testament has come. The Messiah is here. This is my son. Listen to him. And it was quite stunning. So uh, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Something they didn't really know what he's talking about, but they said, okay, we'll be quiet. Uh, but then the disciples asked us, something had triggered in their heads that was troubling to them. And this was this. He says, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Now, they just, if they had any doubts as to whether or not Jesus was the Messiah. You have to remember, Jesus didn't show them go, hey, everybody, I'm the Messiah. He just started showing up and he started teaching and doing these miracles. And the people were like, wow, who is this guy? Remember, he asked Peter, who do people think I am? Some say, well, some people say you're John the Baptist raised from the dead. Some people, you're Elijah, some prophet or whatever. And he says, who do you think that I am? And Peter is the one who said, I think you're the, the Messiah. And, uh, and that's when Jesus said, you're right. You know, God has shown this to you. And then he sees, if there's any doubt to these three at this point, it's been completely erased when they saw him transfigure into his God state. I mean, this blew their minds. So now they know, okay, he's Messiah. And then they're thinking, wait a minute. Why did the teachers of the law say that Elijah has to come first? What they're talking about is the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. I think it's chapter 4, verse 5. You can look it up for yourself if you want to see it. 
But it's the prophecy of the day of the Lord coming. And it says, before that happens, I'm going to send Elijah. So they all thought Elijah was going to come again. And, uh, and then the Messiah would come. Well, they're thinking, wait a minute. If you're the Messiah, then what's the deal with Elijah? Legitimate question, right? So then Jesus replied, to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood he was talking about John the Baptist. Now, let me give you some words of encouragement here. And listen to me. Escúchame, okay? Listen closely. Don't have knee-jerk reactions to stuff. Uh, The longer you've been an evangelical Christian, which is the category we're in. We're not Catholic or whatever. Evangelical Christians. Um, uh, The longer... the more you can have knee-jerk reactions to things because you think I might be saying something that I'm not. So pay attention, all right? And don't just react. Um, You need to be careful. I think evangelicals historically have gotten into fights we've never needed to get into and make statements that are inflammatory, that don't need to be said really at all, in my opinion. My opinion, all right? Um, uh, You need to be careful about making overly dramatic statements about the Bible or your opinions of the Bible. Particularly when it comes to prophetic statements. Now, if you're a hardcore, if you're, you know, when you, I believe the Bible is literalized, rushing a fire, you know, they're just a really hardcore, you would have missed Jesus. Because the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law missed Jesus. Stop and think about it. They were getting about the Old Testament prophets. They said that. Uh, they knew that Jesus came from where? Nazareth, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that was a problem because the Old Testament said he would come from Bethlehem. Well, he was born in Bethlehem. Now, they just assumed, you know, back in those days, you born somewhere, you raised there your whole life, okay? They didn't know he was from Bethlehem. All they knew is that he was from Nazareth. And they said, wait a minute, he can't be the Messiah because he's supposed to be from Bethlehem, even though he was, and we all know that now, but they didn't. That was a problem for them. Um, Just the fact of his name. The Old Testament says that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Well, he's born and his name is Jesus. Now, it doesn't say he would be named Emmanuel. It says he'll be called Emmanuel. Very small distinction, but apparently a big one. Something that doesn't even become clear until it happened. Oh, okay. But if they were hardcore, no, it can't be Jesus. It's Emmanuel. Emmanuel, he's not called Emmanuel. I don't know anybody called Emmanuel except the mayor of Chicago. He's a little crazy. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> I'm not from Chicago, I don't care. Uh, so, the, uh, so that, and then um, the fact that Elijah was supposed to come. Well, Elijah didn't come. Well, Jesus said, well, John the Baptist was Elijah. The disciples go, oh, but to a hardcore, no. Doesn't say John the Baptist, it says it would be Elijah. So you see what I'm saying? If you take those kind of stances... You would have missed the Messiah, just like they did. In other words, so here's my encouragement. When it comes to matters of prophetic statements in the Bible, check your medication, okay? You don't really know what they're saying. If you think you do, you're just being arrogant. And I know people love and they get all excited and they go to these prophetic conferences and Israel's going to do this and Russia's going to do this. They don't know. They're guessing. The truth of the matter, the reason those are even said in the Bible is so that you would be ready. Every time you read something prophetic in the New Testament about the end times, it almost always says, therefore, be ready. Everybody say, be ready. That's the point. It's not for you to argue about stuff you don't know about. You don't know. My guess is 
much of the Old Testament prophecies didn't even become clear until it happened. And Jesus think, oh, that's what it meant. Well, what's to make you think it's not going to happen again? You know, I know the Bible says the Antichrist is coming and his number will be 666. We don't even know what that means. I don't think he's going to walk around with a tattoo on his forehead, 666. Be great because we could know who it was right away. But I don't think that's going to happen. We don't know. My guess is until it happens, it'll dawn. Oh, that's what that meant. That's how we, that's just the way it is. Don't get all crazy about making statements you don't know about. Here's an example. And I'm not looking for a fight. And quite frankly, I, I do believe in what I'm going to pick on here for a second. But in the New Testament, it refers to, in prophetic terms, about the rapture. This moment before Christ comes, where those who are believers on the earth will be caught up together in heaven. Zip, we're going to zip out of here. Okay? I believe that. I think that. I don't hate, like to use the word believe. It's kind of more like in the think category. Uh, but I could be wrong. You could be wrong. You know, maybe it looks different than what we thought. Uh, well, can it says it says it it says it. Well, it also says that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. My guess is most of you are seated in Wisconsin right now. Okay, but in a spiritual sense, we are. Maybe it's a spiritual. You don't know. What are you going to do? Not go to heaven because it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen? Well, I, I'm not going to heaven. That rapture didn't happen the way I thought it was going to be. You know, for heaven's sakes, you don't know. What we do know is it's going to be bad. All right, it's all going to be really bad. The point is, be ready. Everybody say, be ready. That's the point. And by the way, every time you hear some nitwit make a statement that Jesus, the end of the world's coming back on October 21st or whatever it is, don't listen to them. The minute someone gives you a date, they are in the moron category. You know, I mean, it happens every few years. That just what was it? a couple of years ago? Some guy was claiming that Jesus was coming back on whatever the date was. He's an idiot. All right, Jesus said clearly nobody would know the day or the hour. How anybody can look at that and then go, oh, "Wait, I know the day and the hour." You are a moron. There's no, and what was stunning to me is how many Christians called me up and said, "Pastor, is it going to happen on the 21st?" They don't know for heaven's sakes. People get all crazy you should know don't call me about that stuff i'll think very bad thoughts about you <laughs> i won't say anything but i'll think bad thoughts for heaven's sakes nobody knows any i don't care if it's the smartest guy in the world said I, i figured it out jesus coming back on such and such a date the minute they do that they are in the nitwit category they don't know what they're talking about don't get caught up in all that people out there selling their homes and getting ready to go in the rapture for heaven's sakes Which, by the way, I think is a weird thing. If I know the world is ending on October 21st, I ain't selling nothing. I'm running up my credit cards, man. <laughs> What are they going to do? <laughs> Come on, baby, let's go party. Woo! And don't do that either. They're crazy. <laughs> These people are crazy. And inflammatory statements. Evangelicals are famous for statements. And now listen to me, okay? Escuchame, listen. Almost any evangelical church, you go onto their website and there's a statement of faith. We believe in the Bible's the inerrant word of God. Inerrant. Why do you fancy word? What they're trying to say is we believe it's true. But inerrant means there's, no, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. It's absolutely perfect. Which is not true. Now, 
the bulk of the truth of God's word and how we live in salvation, all that's crystal. There's not even a question about that. But when you say inerrant that there's not one little thing that could is misplaced or timeline or something that doesn't agree with something else, now you're just opening yourself up for arguments and debates and they make you look like a fool. There's no reason to say that. The Bible does have little tiny weird things. That's where people say, well, there's, there's contradictions in the Bible. They're talking about these little piddly things that don't mean anything. It's not like God in one chapter said, do not commit adultery. And the next chapter said, well, you know, if you feel like it, go for it. I mean, it's, it's you know, that's not there. It's not like the essence of God is contradictory in any way, shape, or form. It's these little statements. We read one at the beginning of Matthew. Where Matthew records, Jesus said, the Son of Man will be in the earth three days. And then, in this particular case, added three words, and three nights. It's the only time in the New Testament it says that. He wasn't in the grave three nights. He was there for the three days. Um, two nights. Now, oh, contradiction of the Bible. Why is that there? I don't know. The fact that the Bible, over... Oh, this huge time span can be so synchronous with so many different authors who didn't even know it. It's stunning. It's the hand of God as they inspired to write it. But there are little human things that pop up in there. Old Testament, one thing that happens before another. and It doesn't mean anything. It's, and then these people say, well, the Bible's not true. Well, it's an absurd premise because you find some little piddly human element that pops up every now and then. That would be like someone saying, you know, uh, someone... On 9-11, said the plane came in from the west, and someone else said it came in from the north. Well, therefore, it never happened. Well, that's an absurd state. You can't just make an absurd conclusion like that because you got two different... There's two different guys, all right? Who cares what direction they came from? You know, well, the account of the uh, resurrections worded differently than this guy, than this guy. It's, it's immaterial. It doesn't matter. We're about to get to a verse that is contra... You know, that... Some Bible scholars don't think it should be even in the Bible in a second. So this, these are little things. When you use terms like inerrant, like there's no mistakes, you're just going to open up yourself to be a punching bag for these people. And even terms like literal, I believe it. Now, nobody's more literal I don't know about the Bible than I am. But I don't go around talking. I think the Bible's literal. Because again, you get yourself in trouble with people. They'll come up with stuff. Well, now when the Bible says the hands should clap their hands before the Lord, the trees should clap their hands before the Lord. Is that literal? Because trees don't have hands. You know, it's like, okay, it's poetic. I mean, why? Here's a creation. Was it in six 24-hour days that God created the earth? I think so. I really do. Others say, well, no, it was six million years. I don't care. I wasn't there. Okay? Who knows? It's irrelevant. There's no, and then Christians get in these big fights and those organizations, you know, dedicated to arguing the, the days of creation. Who cares? It means nothing. What is important is that God did it. Are you hearing me? And I promise you, hardcore evolutionists, that's their problem. They have a problem with God. It's not that they think this happened this way or the other. They just got a problem with God. They think it was all a mistake. You know, somebody burped and all of a sudden put the earth into motion. And, you know, was, you know really, well, who was the guy burping? I don't know where it came from. It was just spontaneous gas or something like that. You know, it was just... I mean, it's, but then when you point out to them that the intelligent design on this planet is no way, it's literally impossible for it to have happened on their own. You know what they say? And we've got these guys on video, you can, you can YouTube, and you'll hear these leaders, huge PhDs, brilliant evolutionists who, who say, well, you know, I, I think possibly it was aliens, you know, that came to Earth and, and they programmed this into our genome. And they call us crazy. 
So they got a problem with God, but little green men in a box, yeah, they could do that. I'm telling you, they know there's no way it happened by itself. They just hate the idea of God. So that's number one. And number two is that when it came to man, we're different. And they don't want that. They want you to believe you're just an advanced animal. Okay? That you came from a bug. Okay? And then it turned into a fatter bug, and then a really fat bug, and this huge bug, and then you showed up. All right? I mean, it's patently absurd. But they want you to believe that you are not unique. When the Bible says, and it's interesting, because the, the, the account of creation says, God said, let the earth bring forth these things. How long it took, I don't know. He said, let him, but when it comes to man, it says that he formed man out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life, and he became a living soul. We are different than everybody else. All right? And it's just, you know, it's just people's different perspectives of God. Some people cannot comprehend the earth could be put together in six days. I think, why did it take six days? I think God could have done that in about six and a half minutes, you know. It's just different perceptions of God, clearly. Okay, their perception, first of all, they don't even believe there is a God. That's where all that That's why we just stay with the basics. When we proclaim, you just all stood up, we all said it together. We believe in God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth. That's what we believe. God did this. That's why we don't say, the creator of heaven and earth who did it in six days, and if you don't believe that, you're going to hell. We don't care. Who cares? You know, get all crazy about stuff that you don't need to be crazy about. Besides, you're never going to convince people in their heads anyway. The Bible says that you believe with the heart. Now, you've got to deal with the head. That's why I say quit using statements that mess up people's heads. But just speak into their hearts. That's how you really convince people about stuff. All right? So... Going on. Now, when they came to the crowd, they come out of the mountain, they come to the crowd, a man approached Jesus, knelt before him, and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to the disciples, but they could not heal him. And then Jesus just goes off on these guys. He is so ticked. He says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, he's talking to his disciples. These great men of God. He's yelling, how long will I stay with you? How long will I have to put up with you? Now, I always have been pointing this out as we've been going through the whole book of Matthew. That Jesus was a pretty intense guy. This wussified version of Jesus that Christianity has put out for the last hundred years is an abomination. You know, i got pictures of Jesus who looks like a lady with a beard, you know. For heaven's sakes, you know, oh yeah, he was very calm. He was always very graceful. He was always, oh, oh, and he never raises, never raise your voice, never raise your voice. <laughs> and, and when they see those verses where he says, you unbelievers, how long will I be uh, stuck with you? They put this kind of filter. They think he's saying it like this. Uh, you unbelievers, how long will I put up with you? And they can make that. But when you get to this one, there's no way you can put that voice on it. Because he is fried. He is yelling at these guys. Now, there's a great translation of the Bible. If you're a serious student of the Bible, you want to really get into it and understand what a particular verse is, let me encourage you. Get the Amplified Bible. It's not the kind of you sit and just read it because it'll overwhelm you. But if you got, boy, I wonder what that verse really means. Look it up in the Amplified Bible. Because there's, there's intention and meaning that's lost in translation. Those of you who are, are bilingual or multilingual, you know that's true. Uh, it might speak Spanish or German or Swahili or whatever the heck is. Uh, 
Uh, but And you know that you can say, you can translate a phrase from your language into English, but you go, well, it literally means this, but it, it says this, but that's not what it means. You know what I'm saying? You can't capture the meaning because it's not the same in different languages. And that's true as the Bible's translated into English. They did an amazing job getting it as accurate as possible. Sometimes the meaning's left left out. So the Amplified Bible uses every conceivable adjective that they think is necessary to truly denote what was being said. So it's a great way of studying the Bible, Amplified Bible. Anyway, look at, this is how the Amplified Bible translates this phrase. Jesus answered, Oh, you unbelieving, warped, wayward, rebellious, and thoroughly perverse generation. Whoa, I mean, he's ticked off. Okay? Now, I'm saying this just so you can get a picture. It's okay to be human. It's okay to have some passion. This idea that Christians have to be shot up with morphine and just... uh, And walk around... Is nonsense. Sometimes you're passionate, right? Sometimes you get intense. Jesus at times was intense. I keep pointing it out to you. If you go through the Bible, the New Testament, or any of these Gospels, every time some, Jesus said something warm and fuzzy, mark it in blue, every time he said something like, Hochi Mama, mark it in red, it will be overwhelmingly marked in red. We've been saying that. I've been pointing this as we go along. It's like, wow, wow, wow. He was a hard-natured man filled with compassion and grace. But he was a butt-kicker. And it's okay to have some passion in the way you approach life. Now, here's the guy. He goes into the temple with a whip and beats people. Into the with In a court of law, that's called premeditation. It's not like he got in there and got ticked off. No, he got a whip first one. All right, that'll do. Okay, let's go to church. Why, 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 why? I mean, again, it wasn't this. It's okay to be a little passionate. Christianity's got this real soft part of it, mainly because our heritage in America comes from Northern European heritage and culture. A culture that, by and large, is very not horribly emotional. But it doesn't make it more spiritual. Okay, I was talking to a guy once. He was all upset. I was, I was counseling him. He's in his 50s. He was still upset, really hurt because of the day his father yelled at him when he was a boy. Oh, wow, man, I'm Puerto Rican. We yell at each other every day. Said, We're waiting for it to get in the Olympics. We're going to take the gold every year. Hallelujah. <laughs> One time his dad yelled free. And I know some of you come from families like that. Nobody ever raised their voice. It's fine. It's fine. That's the... But just... It's okay to have some passion in you. Uh, we are in Europe, Northern Europe. They're just very, it's like their personalities have been surgically removed. You know, but then the further you get down, the louder they get. Until you get down to Spain and Italy where they're all screaming at each other. It's quite fabulous. You know. <laughs> I, I got to Italy and I thought, oh, I have found my home. Praise God. Uh, people yelling at me all, all the time. They'd have a fender bumper, you know, two cars bumping into each other. They don't calmly call the police. Oh, what's your cell phone number? Let's write it. They, they start screaming at each other. And then they get in the cars and they drive away. I like this place. This is great. They yell. I like people who yell. You got a little passion in you. I had this one lady. I think she's Italian. 
heritage. Anyway, she comes to my office. She says, Pastor, I have, terrible, I have some terrible sins to confess. Okay. <laughs> Let's listen to this, you know. <laughs> Nothing gets your attention like a confession. I got something to tell. Oh, okay. So I brought her to my office and she said, well, what is it? She says, I, sometimes I yell at my husband and my children. And I go, and? And she goes, no, that's it. I said, really? This is your problem? I said, do they deserve to be yelled at? Yes. Well, then yell at them. What do I care? You know? <laughs> and she was shocked. You can yell? I said, who told you you can't yell? Well, all the girls in my Bible study say it's a sin to raise your voice. I said, Really? I said, these girls that go to your Bible study, are they all blonde and blue-eyed and have Norwegian surnames? She goes, well, yeah, how'd you know? (laughs) That's sweetheart, that's culture. All right, you come from a yelling culture. Yeah, just don't get mean. Don't get nasty. The Bible says it's not a sin to get angry. You can get angry, just don't sin. But see, most of you sin when you get angry because you think you've already sinned because you're mad and you might as well just blow it out. <laughs> right? Is that not what we do? We, we get mad, we start yelling, I'm going to hell anyway, and now you really get mean. <laughs> Stop! You can get mad and verbalize or whatever you do, you know, just don't get mean and nasty and cursing and all that kind of stuff. My mother, God bless her. She's a cuss at us all the time when she she was, but only in Spanish. (laughs) Never in English. Uh, Apparently, God does not understand Spanish. (laughs) She's safe there. (laughs) But from her, those were terms of endearment, weren't they? (laughs) If she cussed at you, she liked you. People say, what is she saying? You don't want to know. She likes you, though, but you don't want to know. All right. All right, a little passion. It's not going to kill anybody. Some of you could use it, for heaven's sakes. Good grief. All right, where am I? I was blabbering. Okay, here we go. So, so Jesus yells at these guys, Ah, what's the matter with you guys? And then he rebukes the demon that's in the boy, and the, it comes out, and he was healed at that moment. Not that everybody who has seizures is driven by a demon. We don't know what was going on. Now, we will say this. Look at the next one. It says, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? Now think about this. These guys had performed many miracles. Jesus had given them power over demons and they could heal the sick, raise the, everything Jesus was doing, he put on them and they were out there doing it. They came back, man, this is awesome. But when it comes to this kid, they couldn't do it. Why? Again, we don't know. I keep telling people. The Bible is not a collection of stories. If it's a collection of stories, these guys suck because they're terrible storytellers. A story gives you all the details. They just told you the facts. Something was happening with this kid that was freaking him out. I don't know. Was he levitating off the ground? Was his head going, I don't know what was going on. The kid had a demon. You know, maybe six years old and the voice came out like James Earl Jones. What are you doing here? I mean, I don't know. All I know is the disciples come and go, yeah! You pray for him. I ain't praying for him. You pray for him, man. Go pray. Okay, I'll pray. Get healed. Ah! And nothing could happen. So they come to Jesus. They can't help. And Jesus yells at them. 
for heaven's sakes. And then he cast the demon out. And he said, how come we couldn't do it? My guess is because they saw something. It was different. It probably freaked the willies out of them. And they got to a place where they couldn't do it. So Jesus said, look, you couldn't do it because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. Here's the point of all of this. Uh, For many of us, remember, these guys had performed many miracles and continued to perform many miracles. But in this one, they couldn't. This is true in our own life. Some, there's some, if you've been a Christian very long, you know, like, there's some areas of your life you can really trust God for. And then other areas, it's really hard. It might be money. For some reason, you have the hardest time trusting God for money. Or you're sick and you have the hardest time trusting God to get well. Or whatever your situation is, you just struggle. That's okay. Don't feel bad about yourself. That's the beauty of being part of a Christian fellowship. Church. We're here, Stevens Point, Appleton. We all have these people that you should be connecting with so that when you hit areas of life where you're struggling, you can go to somebody else and say, man, I'm really, I need some help in this area. Because they might have all, God might give them all kinds of faith for your situation. And they can pray with you and trust God with you, okay? So don't feel bad, just be honest. Stop the plastic Christianity. I hate this plastic Christianity where everybody pretends to be okay. I can trust God for everything. No, you can't. Neither could they. Don't tell me you're something that you're not. There's going to be areas in your life you're going to struggle. When you do, get some help. Go to somebody. You know, I'm really having a hard time with this. And that, and pray for one another. The Bible says confess your faults to one another. I say this over and over again. I know most of you don't do it. But I just keep saying it until some of you get it. You need to get to the point where you can go to somebody else and say, You know, I'm really bad at this. Or I'm having a real hard time with this. Or I just, I know I should feel this way and I don't. Okay, I know I should be kind to my husband, but I have visions of strangling him in his sleep at night, you know. I mean, okay, cough it up, get some help, talk to somebody. Because that's when you start being real, God will show up and intervene for you. So that's kind of the point of all that, all right? Uh, And then the next verse says, then they came together in Galilee. As they're going, Jesus starts warning them again. He keeps telling them. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. The disciples are filled with grief. They're just bummed out by what he said. They don't even understand what he's saying. Because remember, when it happens in just a little while from here, they're freaked out. They had no idea it was coming, even though Jesus told them. It wasn't a surprise to Jesus. He knew exactly. We're going to Jerusalem. They're going to arrest me. They're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. They'll stick me in the ground, and I'm coming out on day number three. And when it happened, they were like, what was that? And, and in all fairness, Jesus often talked in ways they didn't understand, so they, they didn't get it until it happened. And then the Bible says, oh, then they began to remember what he had said to them. And then this next part of the Bible, I love this next little part, because it talks about special God moments, where God shows up and does some special God moments in your life that will change your life. Some of them, times they're big, sometimes they're just little, tiny. This is a little tiny, but it's a cool God moment. How many, how many of you want to hear about the God moments? Good, good. So you'll come back next Sunday because I'm done. All right. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word. Help us to grow from it, Lord. Number one, help us to admit we don't know everything about the Bible and we don't always understand everything. And it's okay that we don't understand everything. Uh, And uh, and quit using statements that just freak people out, Lord. Uh, We thank you for the example that we see here in the scriptures of the passion and intensity. Everybody's different. Some people are very calm listening to me right now. Some are much more intense. doesn't mean one's more holy than the other. 
Thank you that we can be human, have our human reactions, frustrations, fears, paranoia, whatever it is, but that we can encourage one another when we fall short in an area where we don't have enough faith. Help us to be able to trust people around us because there might be somebody next to us who really does have the kind of faith to turn our situation around. Help people, Lord. Help people to get comfortable, to admit their weaknesses, and to have the strength to ask for help so that the community of the church can really come alive and God can do many great miracles in our lives. We thank you for this all in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Bless you.